Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and I sound like this. I'm a fiction writer, stand-up poet and now apparently podcaster, slowly gaining a foothold in an increasingly crowded market. Please don't go. I'll say the opposite if you stay. So as you may or may not know, right? I suppose I could stick that pointless qualifying clause in front of almost any utterance, couldn't I? As you may or may not know, the specific gravity of Beryl is 2.6 to 2.8. As you may or may not know, I just had a mug of fresh orange juice. If you do know that second one, you're either psychic or watching from my wardrobe. Either way, I respect and fear you. But I digress. As you may or may not know, uh, either is fine. I'm making no assumptions. As you may or may not know... At the time of recording, I've just finished uploading the Death of a Thousand Cuts Couch to 80k writing boot camp, and I'm going to rarely have to ever say that mouthful of a phrase ever again. It's an eight-week fiction writing course with a total of 48 episodes for you to work through, each with a 10-minute exercise to build your creative muscles, get you match fit, push you to places you've not been before with your work, and get you ready for finishing a novel. It was great fun to do, sounds odd to say, but I learnt a lot. Uh, maybe it sounds also vaguely arrogant. I don't mean from myself, I mean through the process of doing it. I guess that idea that you never really know a subject till you teach it to someone else has some truth to it. And look, I love stories. I love writing. It was nice to get to be enthusiastic for once. Like on the Death of a Thousand Cuts blog, if you've not checked it out, it's on my website, timclairpoet.co.uk. There's about 200,000 words of me critiquing people's first pages and writing about creative writing and how to do fiction, not shit. But on the blog and in a lot of the Death of a Thousand Cuts season one, I was, you know, doing edits of people's first page and being a bit snarky sometimes. And it always comes from a place of love, but um, it's such fun It's to be like... A, this whole thing, it's just been really nice to be like a dad on a nature ramble, who, you know, who's being a bit too much, going, come on, get a good lungful of that fresh country air. <sighs> ah, the great outdoors, isn't it magnificent, etc, etc. I've made a name for myself being sort of a little bit spiky and cynical, and it's just been lovely to get to show a different side of my personality, right? And, and and now you're starting to work through the course and I'm getting messages and emails from people saying how they're getting on and about the stuff they've been writing and all the ideas they've come up with and the, frankly, crazy shit that they've been coming out with. And I just can't tell you how happy and satisfied that makes me. It's frigging great. It's really, really exciting. And I can't wait to hear more from people as they progress. So today what I wanted to do and what I still want to do and what I will indeed attempt to do uh, here and now in just a moment is to provide a conclusion to the Couch to 80k course, a sort of refreshing fruit sorbet that those of you who finish the course can cleanse your palate with. But if you haven't done it all yet, and I imagine the majority of you will be in that camp slouched in folding chairs under your tent awnings, drinking warm Cronenberg and watching the children play French cricket by the toilet block. If you haven't done it yet, if you're not done, that's fine. Um, you can still listen. I'm chatting about ways of continuing from this point on, but there are no spoilers per se. Uh, if I make reference to a test in the final week and ways to suppress the odour of rotting meat with bleach and bowls of baking soda left under windows. Don't worry your little head about it. It'll all make sense when you reach week eight. And then you will have a choice. 
But what to do post-week eight, when all the beautiful structure falls away and you're left on your own? Uh, today I'm going to hit you with the seven pillars of finishing your novel. And I hope these will be useful regardless of whether you do the boot camp or not. They're just solid principles of getting any big creative project done. I've done several in my life. Uh, novels, non-fiction books, poetry books, multiple live shows that I've taken to Edinburgh. So I've got a little bit of experience in this area, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, this is for novelists, but I think it applies to many of them. Why have I arranged this information in listicle format? Because the internet is Satan and has ruined my ability to communicate like a grown-up. One, give yourself some lovely rewards. Now, I used to deeply fear doing this. I thought it was self-indulgent. I thought it would exacerbate my idle tendencies. And by treating myself the way an ill-humoured Victorian industrialist might a small child charged with clearing up fibres from beneath the giant mechanical looms, I came to quite reasonably resent my work and look for ways to dodge it. Not because I was lazy, but because I was a shit boss. Reward yourself each time you turn up and do a bit of writing. doesn't have to be very much. You don't need a big reward. In fact, you're better off not going for massive bribes at any stage of the writing process. Studies suggest that small incentives work best at producing lasting motivation. This is partially to do with Leon Festinger's theory of cognitive dissonance. If you're working hard at something, even when there are times you'd rather not, and you've promised yourself a large reward at the end of it. In your head, that's a consistent and logical pattern. I'm doing this thing, and I'm currently not enjoying myself, but oh, I'm, oh, but the reason I'm doing a thing that I'm not enjoying is because I know I'm gonna get a big present at the end. Makes sense in your head, right? But if the rewards you offer yourself are small or inconsequential, or frankly, a bit shit, like you get to put a tick on your calendar each day you write, and if you get seven in a row, you get to stick a little star on it, then at some point you'll be in the situation of not wanting to do whatever the activity is, let's say writing, and you start to do it, then it occurs to you, why am I doing this for a fucking gold star? Which feels like a contradiction, and it starts to feel a bit uncomfortable. You're like, I'm doing something that isn't internally consistent. And as humans, we love to feel consistent. It's uncomfortable to not have our beliefs and our behaviour match up. And the quickest way to get rid of that discomfort is to come up with a rationalisation. So you might tell yourself, without even being really conscious of it, just as an automatic thought, oh, the reason I'm doing this is actually because I love writing, because I'm a, I'm a writer and that's what I do. And without you even noticing it, the small external incentive of a tick and a star becomes an internal one. And you don't get that with big rewards because there's no contradiction. So by all means, love yourself, see friends, buy yourself some lovely new socks, but don't use those things to try and tempt yourself through the process of writing. Uh, you want to be gently cultivating a positive relationship with writing. That's what's going to provide lasting motivation. Two, Know your onions. I talked about research early in the boot camp and I didn't want to go on about it too much because I wanted to keep you writing, keep you contributing to that daily practice and I didn't want to break it up with faff. But if there's going to be something that transforms your writing, something that genuinely sees you make the leap to the next level of quality, of immersion, of richness, of inventiveness, that makes you level up, that makes you evolve as a writer. So there's an actual step change that you look back and go, fuck, this is better than anything I've written before. 
This is markedly better and I can see the difference. My guess, the thing that is going to be the difference maker is research. Or research, I don't really know where the stress falls in that word. Because most writers don't do enough, right? And they don't know how to use the stuff they've got in a sensitive and interesting way that doesn't just see them copy and pasting something from a Wikipedia page into a Word file and putting speech marks around it. But doing your research the right way around, writing some flavour first, getting some hints of character and voice, letting your narrator chat a bit before you start diving into history books or technical manuals. The way, in fact, I've deliberately structured it in the boot camp, um, that's going to mean that when you start to do research, it will be serving the story. And you're not just browsing a shit ton of non-fiction books on the loose time period or geographic region or profession your story revolves around you've got characters you've got conflicts and when you do research instead of a big slog or a mining expedition it becomes a hunt you're hitting the books searching for a specific thing and that makes it fucking fun it's like I've just started doing it again with my new book and it's not work at all. It's a scavenger hunt through a massive junkyard. I'm just charging into these books going, oh, I'll have that. And oh, I could use that for him. And mm, that's cool. Maybe I could change it so that she has one of these and so on and so forth. That's how you want to feel when you're researching. And good research is writing. Not every author in every genre has the same process. But for me... I can only write good if I do my research. All the fancy metaphors in the world can't save me if I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. By the time you've done the eight weeks, I suspect you'll be at peak ripeness for doing some research. You'll know where the gaps are, the frustrating bits where you just don't, you can't quite picture what you're looking for. And writing will flow out of that research process. Three, seek help. Find other writers. Seriously, working alone is a bad idea and a big reason why so many authors struggle with book two. They're like, oh, I'm a pro now. I don't need peers and workshops and feedback. I'll just repair to my walnut panelled office and be a master storyteller. No. Join writing groups. Find like-minded friends and meet with them to share extracts. Give feedback or just write together and have a coffee and a cake and chat. We're social creatures. You'll feel happier and less alone and more motivated if you've got good friends who are committed to the same journey you are. And like I was saying before, we like to feel consistent. So if you tell people you're working on a book, you're likely to keep going. And also, these are also writers who have got talent and taste and you'll be able to share work with them and get feedback. And that will stop you having to agonise. Is it good enough? Is it all right? Show it to some other fucking human beings and get their feedback. They'll probably tell you that some bits aren't very good. And then you can make the changes. It's fine. Four, adopt a growth mentality. Listen, I know it's tough sometimes. I know it can feel frustrating when you make time to write and then what comes out isn't all you hoped it would be. Indeed, if you've got a halfway decent critical eye, then you're almost certain to be dissatisfied with everything you produce in your first draft. That's the reality of giving a shit about your art. But just because you're dissatisfied doesn't mean you have to be disheartened. This isn't a process that is intrinsically unpleasant. And writers who push that line, however jokingly, oh, we're all writers, we're all miserable, we all fucking hate ourselves, are talking nonsense. And more than that, it's dangerous nonsense because it doesn't encourage us to look for healthier ways of managing our relationship with our work. Every session you put in, long or short, is practice. 
it's a session in the gym it's going for a run it is building your strength you're working on your craft you're challenging yourself as a writer and you're inevitably developing a whole suite of skills that will invisibly support you in the weeks and months and years to come to squeeze the most out of that learning process you're going to need to watch yourself closely and listen to your feelings. You're going to need to be awake and notice the emotions that arise in response to different writing. And you need to observe your own process and then carry the memory of that to the books you read. So you can think, oh, right, so we're entering a new room here in this novel. How does this author solve the problem of making me see a room? Just watching for basic shit like that can be so, so useful. It's it's fundamental. And once you kind of once you've been through the problem, when you go, how the fuck do I describe this house as they approach it and make it interesting? You can go, well, you know what? I'm going to take this copy of Hound of the Pascavilles down off my shelf and I'm going to look. I'm going to reread the scene where their carriage approaches Baskerville Hall and just see how Sir Arthur Conan Doyle handles this. And then just see, and then and then you can just nick wholesale strategies that other authors have used. And that, that, I cannot emphasise enough how much of a revelation that was for me, was just writing regularly and then realising that so many of the problems I was facing have been solved by authors that are literally within arm's reach of me. And I can just go, fuck, I, well, I can't seem to, I can't do these dialogue tags right. Everyone is just either raising their eyebrows or scratching their nose as dialogue beats. Well, I just take a fucking book down off the shelf, read a scene with dialogue and see how they handled it and then copy that. You're allowed to do that, right? Not, you know, not a wholesale, but you won't because your scene will have different context. But just see what they've done. There's no crime in using other people's techniques. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And this is why after every exercise on the course, I ask, how was that? How did that feel? I'm not just being creepy and post-coital. You can grow so much as a writer just by being present for all the feelings that arise as you write. Not just the uncomfortable ones, but those are the ones you're most likely to suppress and avoid. So that's often where the knowledge is. And they're often, if you can get a healthy awareness of them, they're the things that will flag up areas where you're unsure about something, fuzzy bits. They're, if you can be comfortable with feeling uh, dissatisfaction then you'll actually develop a really keen intuition for what's working in your story and what isn't without hating yourself for it. Instead of just thinking like, how many words am I from the end? I think it's useful to ask yourself, what writing skill can I build today? I know, I know, I sound punchably smug. Look, once I've finished recording this, I promise you, I genuinely promise I'm going to open my notebook and I'm going to do exactly that. And I'm going to start off thinking to myself, what writing skill can I build today? Because I know it will help me. Listen, it makes me write more and it makes the writing I do produce less shit. And I'm happier. I'm not giving you advice that I don't take because so many writing manuals do that. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's bollocks. But, but we can all use a reminder once in a while, including me. Five. 
except that a complete mission shutdown will occur at some stage. Unless you're a fucking mutant, at some point in the process, every single one of your good intentions will fall by the wayside. Every last fucking one. Days or even weeks will pass without your writing a word, and you'll be this zombie who watches Vine compilations at 4am, and your biggest achievements are eating marshmallow sandwiches and dead-eyed masturbation, and you'll turn to that wall calendar, and it'll be hanging there, its succession of blank days like the links in Marley's chain, and you'll think, I knew it! Change and success and any sort of forward motion are dreams for other people. Better people. And worst of all, your voice breaking. I've failed Tim. Perhaps your interruption in service will be less dramatic than that, but no less disappointing. Because the danger with my pumping you up and being all, come on gang, let's weave some dreams, is that when life gets in the way, you get flu, you move house, you've got a bunch of nights out planned and your routine gets messed up and you get hungover, you get dumped, whatever it is, once you lose that momentum, you can feel really, really shitty. The optimism's gone and you may well conclude, well, I just don't have it in me. No. Things falling apart is normal, absolutely expected, inevitable in fact. And the good news is it really only takes one 10 minute writing session to make a dent in that bottomless feeling of, oh God, I'm such a bad person, I'm such a loser, I can't do this. I have never, ever felt worse about myself or my writing after a 10 minute writing session. Never. And you do two, two days in a row? You mark that on the calendar, I guarantee you 80% of your dread and bad feeling will already be gone just in two 10-minute sessions on two consecutive days. Remember, we don't look for motivation to help us write. We write to build motivation. And I've had periods of crushing depression. I know it's not always as easy as that to just spout these twee, uh, smug maxims and going, oh, all you need to do is just be intrinsically motivated and then you can just be be motivated by being motivated. Oh, great advice, Tim. That's fucking genius. Just all you need to do to do it is do it. I, I know how it sounds. And I, if, if you're feeling fucked off now, or just like that is the most useless, circular, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps advice I can ever imagine, I sympathise and empathise deeply. But remember, this is why all you're going for is 10 minutes. Because actually a lot of that voice that stops you from doing anything is a perfectionist voice. And it, perfect is the enemy of good. It's saying there's no point. You, you can't make a dent in it. There's you, You're never going to get that beautiful routine all set up again. So you might as well not bother. That's what it does. It's kind of like saying, don't try. And, and, it's, and it's trying to protect you in a way. It's, it's saying, don't try. Don't put yourself through the disappointment of failure. There's no sense. And all I'm saying is, all you do is you just go, I'm going to just turn up for 10 minutes. I'm going to turn up for 10 minutes. And uh, regardless of quality, I'm just going to test that automatic thought that I can't do it. That I don't have it in me. And you just do this any time you feel defeated. Set a timer on your phone. Ten minutes. Write. Tick the calendar at the end. Bam. Go do something else. Then you're done. Then you're done. You don't have, and then you can go, right, I'm not going to think about my writing and how I'm failing for the rest of the day. I've done ten minutes. Fine. And if you do manage to write an entire novel without hitting a wall at some stage, well done. That's fine. Doesn't mean you're not a proper writer. I, I mean, your reward will be that you probably finish like a week or a fortnight before the rest of us would have. Not a huge deal either way, but I'm glad for you. Six, 
give something up. Something has to go. If you're going to find the time and the heart and the energy to write a whole book, something in your life is going to have to make way for that. It's a big project. Writing it will change you. What are you prepared to let go of to make that change happen? For me, it was alcohol. Uh, just before I started writing The Honours properly, I quit drinking. I used to have hangovers several times a week. I I liked my booze, shall we say. Quitting drink gave me a whole lot more time and it saved me a bunch of money. And it, and it, and made, and frankly, it made me less sad. Look, look, I had a problematic relationship with drinking. I was, I was so shit at it. And um, it was, a, it was a way of suppressing a lot of the feelings that I had and giving it up didn't solve all my problems but it made a huge difference and it finally I had the space and the focus to get a novel done I don't think it's any accident that up until then I hadn't managed it now I'm not saying you need to go teetotal you're probably not as much of a twat as I was but I'm sure there's something you could let go of that is actively detrimental to your writing and I dare say your mental and physical health as those three things are really inextricably linked and intertwined could you use a little social media detox for a couple of weeks. A little less caffeine in the evenings. Would an hour less on YouTube every night give you a little more time for restful sleep? Could you give up the bus to work one day a week and do a long morning walk in? I know these things are much easier to sort of suggest. Why don't you just eat a handful of raisins and nuts every day instead of a slice of chocolate cake? Well, fucking, I know, Tim, but I like chocolate cake. I get it, right? And I, I want to be careful that I'm not just like going, why don't you just change, why don't you transform your life? Why don't you blah, 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 blah. Why don't you just uh, do uh, an hour of yoga every day and... Uh, Eight pack choy. Why aren't you doing that? He says as he kind of reaches into like a big ba bag of uh, chocolate drops next to him as he records. I know, right? So I, I know, I know, I know. I'm, 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 these only have to be small things. I'm not saying you know, just to, to transform your life. Simply completely change your entire routine. I know, like that every twat is saying that to you, and you're sick of it, right? I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is, look, uh, well, for example, like maybe the giving up is just giving up being shit to yourself. Because, and, and really that is the, one of the most important things you can do because it is such a tiring, self-defeating habit. And some of us cling on to it because, I don't know, I think sometimes we tell ourselves it's a horrible kind of quality control. We do much, much worse. We'd be much, much worse if we let go of the inner voice telling us how useless, stupid and lazy we are. And I, even as I say that, I can feel it biting on my heart. And it, I, I, I'm, I still struggle with letting that voice go. And I think it's really important to try. You know, I wonder what would happen if you dropped that addiction to self-criticism entirely. Don't think of any of these things as, as, a, as a giving up, really. That sounds so kind of like arid and boring. Think of it more as, as, as a making room. This novel's going to flow into your life and be this often wonderfully engaging, preoccupying force that's going to lead you on an adventure if you let it. So I just think it's worth clearing a space for it at the table. Make your life ready. Seven, enjoy it while it lasts. There's a bit in my novel, The Honours, that I really like. Yes, I am about to quote approvingly from my own book. Yes, that's probably nauseatingly gauche of me. Sorry, where Delphine goes to see her father in the studio and he doesn't want to see her. And this other character, Mr. Groot, says, ignore him. He's in a mood because his latest painting doesn't need him anymore. 
I wrote that line quite close to finishing the book and I think I was starting to realise that there would only be quite a short time in my life when I was writing this particular story, when it was still a living, uncertain thing that I could shape and influence and discover. And once it was done, it would be done and my time with those characters would be at an end. Writing a novel can seem like an interminable, impossibly huge task. My God, the complexity, the raw number of words you need to crank out to fill a modest volume. What the hell are you doing with your life? But it goes surprisingly quickly for all that. All the frustrating gaps where you don't know how to finish a scene, they're also fertile pockets of possibility where anything could happen. You don't know the end to your own book. You know, you get to be a reader of it, but a reader with some choice. I mean, you might think you know the end, but you don't know for sure, and you don't know the exact words. But when it's over, it's over. It's not a story you're writing, it's a story you wrote, it's in your past. Life is so incredibly short, and if you don't know that yet, I guarantee you someday you will. You will know it keenly. And so you owe it to yourself to spend as much time as you can being awake and aware for whatever you're doing, letting yourself appreciate it for what it is. God knows I've struggled to take genuine pleasure in the uncertainty of a plot and the uncertainty of craft. It can be really scary. It can feel humiliating. Shouldn't I know this? But through all of those struggles, through all of the feelings, pleasant and challenging, you're experiencing what it is to write a novel. You're connecting with all the writers who've come before, all the writers who'll come after you. It's a rare human who puts themselves through that experience and you're forging a subtle bond with everyone who ever put pen to paper and tried to tell a story. There's no harm in having a little reverence for the process, a little patience with the challenges it offers you and a little acceptance that you can only do your best and that your best is enough. Right, those are seven things as advertised at the top of this podcast. If you like what I'm doing here, your best way to support me is to buy my book, The Honours. It's a super cool story. You'd like it. If you want to support the podcast, I pay for all the hosting and equipment costs and the time. Myself, I, I set up a little coffee link on my website. That's ko-fi. Um, there's a button that you can click and it takes you to a little page where you can buy me a coffee or two to help me keep the lights on. The, the, the cost won't really go into coffee, although I do enjoy my coffee. They'll go into uh, like SoundCloud hosting costs and hosting my website and all that, all that shiz. Um, since I've put it up, a whole bunch of you have thrown some money into the jar. Quite a lot of money, actually. I'm genuinely flabbergasted at how supportive you've been. Uh, thank you so, so much. I know it sounds glib to be like, oh, thank you, thank you. But um, I'm, I genuinely feel that. You know, we've got a, a, you know, a, a, a small but actually dedicated following on the podcast. And I'm just so pleased that you're enjoying it and getting value out of it. And I'm so grateful that you've seen fit to donate and uh, put some money into supporting what I do. I, I really appreciate it. If you'd like to get in on that, my website's timclairpoet.co.uk. That's timclairpoet.co.uk. There's a button you can uh, click on the right-hand column and there's a link 
also that you can uh, click to go buy a copy of The Honours. If you're willing to do either or both of those things, you'd be making a genuine and significant difference in my life and helping me keep doing what I'm doing, which is making stories and trying to help others who want to make stories make stories too and make them good. Check out the rest of the podcast on SoundCloud. Check out the Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp if you haven't already. I'm going to do one of those calls to action now. Uh, I I know it's become a kind of uh, a bugbear of the internet age, but it genuinely helps. So I'm going to say it anyway, but I sort of I just want to preface it with a kind of I'm sorry. I know lots of people say this, but um, if you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to my feed on SoundCloud. Uh, subscribe to Death of a Thousand Cuts on iTunes if you've got iTunes, and ideally, if you could leave us like a little rating. Or if you've got 60 seconds, write a little review. Um, those are so useful. They help people find the show. They help people decide whether they're going to like it. And they bump us up in the unfathomable Apple algorithm. I'm on Twitter at Tim Clare Poet and on Facebook.com forward slash Tim Clare Poet. Follow me on both of those. I'll tell you stuff and you can say hello to me. Let's let's uh, I was going to say let's hook up, but that sounds sexual. I just mean let's uh, not not hook up. Let's. What's, what, how do you say contact one another online? No, that sounds creepy as well. Just just say hi, and I'll say hi back to you probably. Let me know how you're getting on. Let me know what parts of the show you like. Let me know what parts of the show you uh, think could be improved. Let me know if there's anything you'd like me to talk about in future episodes. Let me know if there's an author you want me to uh, contact and try to get to be a guest on the show. I'm happy to do that for you, and it'd be lovely to hear from you. Right, that's your lot. Hope it's been helpful. Good luck with your writing, dear friend, and I'll see you next time.